So welcome back to week number two of our sermon series called Undeserved Love. If you were here last week, maybe you remember that we started out by kind of talking about, well, what is grace? Grace is that undeserved love of God that he gives to us, not because of what we've done, not because of performance, but because of Jesus and what he did. We talked about the the cost of grace, that for us it's free because there's nothing we can do to get it on our own, but it costs somebody dearly. It it costs a father his son, and it costs a son Jesus his life. Yet by God's grace, we are forgiven, we're set free, and all of God's people say amen, right? Well, well, today we want to kind of talk about, all right, well, Jesus paid the price, that's God's grace for us, but but who exactly is covered? Is it, is it us? Is it good Christian church folk? Is it even those people out there? And so in order to do that, we're going to kind of consider our gospel reading, but more so we're going to look at another section of God's word from 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm going to read it in its entirety so you kind of get the whole picture, but we're really going to focus in on one verse right in the middle of it. This is what we're told. So this is written by the Apostle Paul, just a little background. He's writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and this is what he says. He said, Timothy, I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here, Timothy, is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we sit at your feet today, we first ask that, that the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight and, and that the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight as, as we talk about your Son, our Savior Jesus. Teach us those amazing truths of his grace and mercy and what he came to do and remind us that even we too are covered by this amazing, undeserved love of you, our Father, because of Jesus, the Son. We pray all this in his holy name. Amen. This past week, as I was looking at the gospel reading for today and just kind of skimming through some of the other sections of the gospel, right? The gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, talk about the life and and times of Jesus and what he did. I kind of identified the one thing, I think, that Jesus got in the most trouble for. But it was the one thing that that got Jesus into hot water, in particular with this group that were called the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and maybe I I would say the church leaders and the church goers. 
Did you catch it in our gospel reading? That one thing that, that really torqued them about Jesus, maybe more than anything else, if you forgot what Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 said, let me remind you. It said that they kind of were muttering, right, under their breath, Ugh, this man welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. That was it. That was arguably the thing that got Jesus in the most trouble during his earthly ministry. And maybe if we could be a fly on the wall and, and we were in that little group that was muttering, we would have heard things like this. Ugh. How could he? Obviously, he's a man of God. He must not know what kind of people he's talking to. Or he wouldn't be going to their house for dinner. Oh, gee. Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you know that, that those people are the ones that close the bar and stumble out of an Uber at two in the morning? Why are you going to their house? <sighs> Jesus, don't, don't you know how many times she's actually been married and, and now the person she's shacking up with is not her husband? Why would you show any kind of time and grace to her? What's wrong with you? She, she's abusing God's gift of marriage. And you call yourself a holy man of God. Jesus, don't you know that, that even one of your own disciples votes for the wrong party? He cheers for the wrong side? He works for the Romans? Why in the world would you let him into your circle and actually not only hang out with him, but love him and forgive him? Jesus, why? Would you be hanging out with those people? I think that was the thing that often got Jesus into trouble the most, was the kind of company he kept. And as I thought more about that this week, I started to think, well, what would happen if Jesus walked into our culture and society and into Christianity today? And sadly, I think Jesus would catch just as much flack, even from the Christian church, as he did back then. And then, I, I, I know none of us like to do this, I didn't want to do this, but then I said, well, God, we got to go one step further. What if Jesus walked into our church body and into our local church? Would there be times that maybe we ourselves would say, Jesus... Why would you want to hang out with them? Why would you show mercy to that group? Obviously, you must not know what they've done, who they hang out with, or any of that, or, or you wouldn't do that. And so I wonder, if Jesus were here today, Would we give him flack? All right, Jesus, obviously you don't know that, that she struggles with sexual sins. Otherwise, you wouldn't hang out with her. Obviously, you don't know that maybe he struggles with same-sex attraction. Jesus, you must not know that they vote for the party that none of us vote for. So why would you want to be around them? Why do you want us to welcome those kind of people? Jesus, I, I know 
I know that, that your grace covers a, a lot of people, but, but those people, those, those sinners, many of them don't even care about you. Why would you want to go hang out with them? Now, I, w- I want to help you, because right, part of uh, studying God's word is actually being self-reflective and repenting where we need to, because we all do. Before you think, well, we wouldn't do that, Pastor, let me ask you this. I want you right now to think about the person that did you wrong. I, I want you to think about maybe that, that spouse who, who, who you're butting heads with. Maybe it's your kid that you've been at odds with. I want you to think about that coworker who maybe stabbed you in the back to get the promotion over you. I want you to think maybe of that person even here at church that you're not seeing eye to eye with. I want you to think of those people. Even the ones, you might not say it out loud, but, but sometimes our words and actions and our actions and thoughts are even more powerful than our words. And, and I want you to picture Jesus actually hanging out with that person. The person that did you wrong and you're angry about and he's actually loving them and forgiving them and saving them. I can't speak for your own hearts, but I think my initial reaction is, Jesus, don't you know what they did? Don't you know how how they wronged me or wronged you or wronged your people? Why would you just forgive them and want to hang out with them? But then I thought, why do we sometimes slip into that temptation? Because I think we all do, as a church, as individuals. And I think maybe the problem is this. Maybe it's because we have actually forgotten God's amazing grace that he poured out first on us. Right? Maybe, it's, maybe it's that we've forgotten that, that Jesus, even when we have sinned against him and others, he quickly and freely and immediately forgave our sins. Maybe it's because we're not actually drinking from the well of the gospel of Jesus Christ itself, and when that happens, you you know what almost always happens? We start to think too highly of ourselves. We start to forget our own sins. We start to see the plank in our brother and sister's eyes and not the plank that's maybe double the size in our own. And we often, we often start to think, well, you know, I know I'm not perfect, Jesus, but, but I'm not as bad as them. We don't do what they do, as if Jesus is ranking our sins. But Jesus in his word makes it very clear, isn't that why he came? He came for the lost, he came for the sick, he came for the broken. And scripture clearly tells us that there's really no other kind of people on the planet than sinners who are lost and broken and in need of help. And that's kind of what we get at in our scripture reading from 1 Timothy. And I only want to zero in on this one verse because I think it's such a powerful verse. 1 Timothy 1, right in the middle of that section, it says, Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying. In other words, listen up. This deserves full acceptance. This is gospel truth. You have to hear this. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Hmm. Do you see 
what Paul is doing here. Right? Paul is not shifting blame. He's not pointing fingers. Right? If, if somebody were said, Paul, what's the problem in your family dynamics? Paul wouldn't say it's them. He'd say it's me. If someone said, hey, Paul, what's the problem in the church? Give me the weaknesses. What are the struggles? He wouldn't say it's that group or that group. He'd say it's me. If he went to the office and said, Paul, what's the problem? He wouldn't say his coworkers. He wouldn't say that unruly boss. He'd say, I am the problem. I'm the worst sinner that Jesus came to the world to save. And maybe our gut reaction is, Paul? Wait a minute. Is this the same guy that wrote, I hope I get my math right, maybe the DP can fact check me, 13 books of the New Testament? Yes, I got it right. 13 books he wrote. This is the guy that went from town to town in places like modern-day Turkey and Greece, and he shared the gospel of Jesus. He planted churches and moved on to the next and shared the gospel. And eventually it would cost him his freedom and finally his life. And this is the guy that's saying he's the worst? I mean, if anybody would be covered under God's grace, it's got to be a, a super Christian like Paul, right? But do you know, the first time that we meet up with Paul, he actually doesn't have that name. The first time we hear about Paul in the Bible, his name was not Paul, it was Saul. And you know what group he was a part of? Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered among themselves, right? Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a rising star in this group. I mean, he was the next big thing in the Pharisee party. He was their, their darling. He, he was their future. He was on fire for God. And that's the group Paul was in. The same group that had a problem with Jesus for hanging out with sinners like those people. And the first time that we meet Paul, who was then called Saul, you know what he was doing? Some of you do. He was standing on the sidelines, giving his thumbs-up approval, as another group of men were taking stones and throwing them at Stephen until he was dead. Yep, that's, that's Paul, that, that's Saul, same guy. And, and that, he was just getting started. He was just getting a taste for this murdering, persecuting thing. And from then on, he went on to make it his mission to round up as many of these, these Christians he could find and put them in jail and even kill them. We're not told all the dirty details, but Paul was no doubt responsible for a lot of families ripped apart, dads thrown in jail, families even put to death. In fact, at one point, Paul wasn't just satisfied with, with keeping it local. He took his persecution show on the road, and he was going to a place called Damascus to do what he had done back in Jerusalem. Same guy. That murder is the same guy who wrote these words and who even confessed, I am the worst. And if we didn't know Saul's story in context of Paul in Acts chapter 9, which we're not going to look at today, but you're going to in your life group this week. That's a really cool story, his conversion. You've got to read it. Um, 
But if we looked at it in a vacuum and we didn't know the whole background, we would say, I don't know. A guy like that? A murderer? He had people put in jail. He had people killed. I mean, God's grace covers a lot of people, but even a guy who put people to death simply because they followed Jesus? Yep. Even a guy who killed God's people and put people to death. Because by God's grace, Paul was forgiven. By God's grace, on that road to Damascus that you're going to read about in Acts chapter 9 this week, Jesus stops him dead in his tracks. He says, no. Paul, come follow me. Turn from that life of sin and receive my forgiveness and follow me. And Paul does. And by God's grace, you probably don't even think of the name Saul anymore attached to Paul because he's a new person, a new name, a new person in Christ, forgiven and saved by the blood of Jesus. And another cool thing I want you to notice, Jesus didn't just say to Paul, okay, Paul, you know what, I'm going to change your name and I'm going to put you on a 12-step program and I'm going to give you some some hoops to jump through and, and a little probationary period. And once you pass all those things, then I will fully and freely forgive you and you can be a part of my church. It's great. It's awesome. You can be in my family. But you need to finish this first. Because here's the problem. Paul would have never finished it. Paul would have never been able to check all the boxes. No, instead, what Jesus does is he immediately forgives Paul and gives him a place in the family of God. That's grace. Because grace is when you think the judge is going to throw the book at you, but he says, you're free. Because somebody else took your punishment. Grace is when you think you're going to receive that punishment and you're waiting for the punishment to come down and you're not even denying it. You know you deserve it. But then when you open your eyes and you look, there's no punishment coming. There's just a smiling Jesus with outstretched arms saying, come home. I took the punishment already. That's grace. That's undeserved. That's the love that Jesus showed to Paul. And it's the same grace that he gives to you and me. I don't know all of your stories. Some of you I do, some I don't. I don't know all your backgrounds. I don't know all the baggage. I don't know all the sins that you wrestle with and maybe keep you up at night. I don't know what you struggle with. But I do know this. This is a trustworthy saying that it deserves full acceptance. I do know this. Jesus Christ died for you. I don't know what sins you wrestle with at night, but I do know this. Jesus Christ paid for that sin too. No sin is too big. No sin is too great for the forgiving, loving grace of God through Christ. And so here's the deal. Whatever the sin it is, it's paid for. Maybe your sin is anger. Maybe you get angry a lot and you hold grudges and you get bitter. Jesus says, okay, I paid for that sin, and I will help you, and I will soften your heart with my amazing grace. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's trusting in the pleasures and the money and the things of this world, and Jesus says, it's, come on, enjoy those blessings, because I gave them to you, but, but don't make that your life. Find it in me. 
Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's an arrogant spirit. Jesus says, turn from that and find true freedom in me because I, I paid for those sins too. Maybe you're the reason that that relationship went south. Maybe you're the reason that the divorce papers were signed because of your hurtful words and actions. Maybe you're the one that there's a riff in that relationship because you said and did something and you wish you could take it back, but you couldn't, and you carry that guilt. Jesus says, I took it. I forgave it. Maybe it's that addiction. Maybe it's that depression. Jesus says, I forgive you, and I can give you something that no one else can give. I can give you grace. Come to me. Because that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to pour out his love and grace and to seek and to save the lost, the broken, the hurting, the sinner. That's why he did what he did, right? Think about what Jesus did. That's why Jesus got off his throne. He, he was ruling over everything. He's in the pleasure and presence of the Father. Things are great. But then he said, okay, Dad, I'm willing to go to carry out your plan to go down to that spinning ball of death to redeem it. Send me, Dad. I'll do it. And he did. Right? That's why Jesus came to this earth and he lived that perfect life in your place because he knew you and I couldn't do it. If he just stood up on his, on his holy throne and said, well, here's the rules, keep them, he knew we would all die. And he said, Dad, I'll go. I'll keep them. And then when the time came, Jesus was willing to stretch out his arms as far as they could go and allow spikes to be driven into his flesh. And he was allowed it to drain his blood and his life until he was dead so that he could pay for your sins. So that he would take the punishment for sin and that he would be plunged into hell and have to do battle with Satan so you could be set free. That's what Christ did for you. That is his grace. And Jesus came so that you would know these truths. So that you would know and be reminded without a doubt that no one is too far gone. No one is beyond the, the forgiving reach of Christ. No one's too bad that they can't be forgiven. Not you. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your coworkers, not each other here at church, not that person who maybe in your mind you sometimes are tempted to think, I don't know, no one is too far gone. That's grace. And that's really what the Christian faith is all about. Right, we talked about last week what makes us unique and different than all the other religions and philosophies. Here, once again, we see it. Christianity is not a religion for good people who have it all figured out and who can do it on their own. If that's what you think, you're in the wrong religion. Christianity is for sinners. Christianity is for killers like Paul. Christianity is for tax collectors like Matthew who are working for the other side. Christianity is for prostitutes and the down and out. Christianity is for addicts and people who have problems with their anger. Christianity is for the self-righteous know-it-all and the one who knows that they don't know any of it. Christianity, the gospel, grace. Jesus says it's for all who have fallen short of the glory of God. And friends... 
There's no other kind of people on the planet. Grace is for you. And grace is for a woman named Agnes. I came across the story about Agnes a few years ago in a book I read. They, they, they told the story, so this is kind of second, third hand, but, but let's, I'm going to give it a try because I think it's a powerful story. Tony Campalo, he's a Christian author, and he went on a business trip once, and he gets to the hotel, he checks in, it was time zones away from what he was used to, so he was struggling with the jet lag and he couldn't sleep. And so at some point, he wakes up and, and he goes for a walk outside his hotel. And about a block away, the only thing he sees open, the only building with lights on is this greasy spoon, this little diner, and so he thought, oh, I'm going to go in there. And so Tony walks in, and nobody's there, except behind the counter was the owner. And I can't remember his name, so for our sake, I'm just going to call him Gus, all right? So the owner's name is Gus. And he walks in, and they exchange pleasantries, and Tony sits down and gets a cup of coffee and a little bite to eat. And while he was sitting there, him and Gus kind of made some small talk. Gus found out that he was from out of town. Gus found out why he was there. He was there to talk about Jesus, and he's a Christian. And let's just say Gus did not really come from a religious Christian kind of background, kind of a rough guy. And he didn't really have a high view of Christianity either. I think Gus's view, if I'm getting the story right, was, was kind of like how many people look at the Christian church today, that they're pretty judgy. Some people are let in. Others are, are told, you're not welcome here. And that's kind of the view Gus had of the Christian faith and the Christian church. Even though he thought Tony seemed like a nice enough guy, and that was kind of their conversation for a little bit until the doors open and a group of ladies come in at 3 in the morning. Now, these group of ladies just got off the night shift at their job. And their job? They danced and they kept company with men. I'll just leave it at that. And so you have these sex workers sitting around a Christian man in this diner at 3 a.m. and they're talking, they're talking about their families and just life like any of us would talk about. And at some point it came up that Agnes's birthday was the very next day. And the rest of the ladies are kind of pumped like, oh, that's so awesome, what a special day. And, and Agnes kind of got upset because she's like, well, my birthday's never been a big deal. Nobody's ever done anything nice. Even as a little girl, I have never gotten a cake or a present, or any of that for my birthday. Well, eventually, they, they finish their conversation. The ladies leave to go home, and, and there sits Tony and Gus, and Tony has an idea. Tony says to Gus, hey, do you think it would be okay if we threw a birthday party tomorrow for Agnes? Gus says, sure, absolutely. And so the next day, Tony comes in late at night again at about midnight, and him and Gus, they put up streamers, they have balloons, and Tony even gets this big, gigantic cake that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. At about 3 o'clock, as they always did, Agnes and her friends come into the diner for a meal before going home. And when they come through the door, they see the streamers, they see the balloons, and Agnes walks up to, to the counter and she sees this big old birthday cake that has her name on it. And she starts to cry. And then she, she asks a very unusual question. She looks up at everybody and over at Tony and Gus and she's like, would it be okay if I took the cake 
and left. I promised to come back, but, if, but can I take this cake and leave for like 15 minutes? Because I want to go down the road to my mom's house and show her. Because nobody has ever shown this kind of kindness. Nobody has ever thrown me so much as a party and even given me a cake, and I want to share with her. So they said, yeah, sure. And so Agnes leaves, and, and as she does, everybody kind of stands there in awe. No one really knows what to say. And then finally Gus looks over at Tony. He's like, what kind of church do you go to again? And he said, the kind that throws a party for a prostitute. A prostitute gets a party. A killer gets saved. The sinner gets forgiven by the amazing grace of God. You and I are covered too. Because of that grace. Grace that covers even the worst of the worst. Grace that covers you and covers me. Grace that is, we're going to sing as we close today, right? Though our sins, they are many. Grace says his mercy, Jesus' mercy. It's so much more, and it's yours. Amen.